Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I have a message that I want to share. And um, I know I normally preach. Um, but I just want to talk to us as, as a family and, and just kind of share some of my heart for us. Um, if you want to hear me preach it, I preached it last service. But for whatever reason, the service, I, I want to share it from, I know I'm only 40. But I want to share it from a, a place of a father's heart. Um, which some of you guys in here are old enough to be my father. So it, it feels a little weird sometimes for me to do that, but um, but we we talked last week about. Um, well, I just want to tell you guys, like, there's so many amazing people in here, and there's so much inside of you that God's placed there, so that wherever you go, you can represent Him to the world. It's, it's why you're alive. It's the reason that you exist is to know him and then to be like him so that others can know him through knowing you. Yeah, you have a job. And yes, you have you know, all these different things that, that you do and, 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 there's not, and, and hobbies and, and friends and all that stuff, and that's awesome. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But but even in those places, and maybe sometimes especially in those places, you exist so that through your life, others will know him. Because he said he came to show us what the Father was like. And Peter said, show us the Father. And he said, have I been with you this long? And you, you still would say, show me the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you've seen what I'm like, if you've seen the way I've responded, if you've seen the way that I've loved, if you've seen the way that I've given, everything you've seen in me, when you've seen me, you're seeing him, you're seeing what he's like. He said, that's why I came here, was to show you who the Father is. And then before he leaves, he says, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. So if he came and said, I came to show you what the Father's like, and then he said, as the Father sent me, so I also send you. That means he sent us into the world to show the world what the Father's like. Which is why first you have to know him. Because you can't show somebody what somebody's like if you don't know them yourself. You can mimic what somebody showed you. What if they didn't know him? And what if the way that they demonstrate the Father isn't the way you're called to demonstrate the Father? What if he's already got them? He wants you. What if the reason that you think differently and talk differently than the friend that you know that goes after the Lord as hard as you do is because there's a different part of his heart that people see through you that they don't see through them and vice versa? And that if you try to be who he created them to be, you may succeed at looking like them. But you won't succeed in looking like you. And you were created to be you, not them. 
And so um, I, I love um, I love this house, and I love all of you guys, and I love what God's doing in so many people's lives. I, I do, and I just I want to see us fully become each individual who He created us to be, so that as a body we fully become who He desires us to be. Because even as the body is made up of so many parts, so also is the body of Christ. And so, um, so I, I want to talk to us about something that when I, I preached at the first service, it was so quiet in here. I mean, it was, it was silent. I know. And I'm like, I know, I know it's good because it's his word, and his word is amazing, um, and he's put it in my heart, but, but I just, I want you to hear my heart before I start talking about this, because it's, it's truly my desire that in this, we would become all together so much more like him. Um, so, we talked last week about Jesus kneeling next to the woman at the well, and, or the woman caught in adultery, and and how he put himself between the accusers and the accused, and and he questioned the heart of the Pharisees, and then he told the woman, where are your accusers? I have none, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we just talked about how, you know, we, we, we are told, you know, put the stones down, but honestly, probably we're called to live like Jesus, not the Pharisees. If the best we can do is not throw stones then I mean, I mean, if you've got stones in your hand, then put them down by all means. But, but maybe ask ourselves, why do we find ourselves in the place of the Pharisee when it's Jesus that we're called to follow? If the best we can do is not stone the woman who's knelt next to her, telling her that she's not condemned and showing her a different way to live. Because, see, Jesus loves the Pharisees and the woman the same. So he says to the Pharisees, he says, if you don't have any sin, cast the first stone. He's, he's asking them a question. You know, when God asks you a question, it's not because he's wondering if there's anyone there that hasn't sinned. When he asks you a question, it's not because he wants the answer. It's because he wants you to search your heart and he knows the answer will reveal something to you. And he's saying, search yourselves and just see which of you doesn't need grace, who hasn't needed my mercy, hasn't needed the grace of God. And if there's one of you standing here who hasn't needed grace, then you can be the first one to show that same lack of grace to others. And so he loves the Pharisees. And he loves the woman. And so then he turns to the woman. Because he knows in asking them that question, they have to analyze themselves, and they do, and they put their stones down, they walk away. But they don't just walk away saying, crap, we wanted to stone her. That's, that's not, that wasn't his objective. His objective wasn't just for them to not stone her. His objective was for them to understand their need for grace and to see their own heart and to walk away changed, not just walk away until the next time. He's not interested in just modifying your behavior. He doesn't just want you to not do something or do something in a moment because he speaks something in that moment. He actually wants to change the way that you think so that you actually change the way that you live forever so that you could never again pick up a stone to kill somebody 
and not show grace because you understand your own need for grace. It's the way that you think that he's after, not just the way that you act. Because the way you think will change the way you act. And so then he looks at the woman and he says, go and sin no more. And in that, there's both a call and permission and empowerment. Because in that one simple statement, it means this is what I want, this is what you're capable of, and this is what I will give you the grace to do. Because he's never asked us to do something he hasn't graced us to accomplish. So it's, we, we hear just a simple statement, go sin no more. And it sounds so casual, but it's not. It's him releasing to her, not only is this what, you, what I'm calling you to, but I'm saying you're capable And what you've seen, the grace that's been shown to you, is the grace that will empower you to now go and live differently. Grace comes to empower us to live the way we're called, not just to rescue us from where we are. In Jude, he's talking and he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, if we're not careful, reduce him to the one who comes along and helps us up when we stumble. And he does that. He did that. All have stumbled. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So everyone has stumbled, and He is, as Savior, the one who comes and picks us up when we stumble. But He's also Lord. And as Lord, He's able to keep us from stumbling. Don't reduce him to just someone who rescues you when you stumble without also seeing him as the one who could actually keep you from stumbling in the first place. Because he's both Savior and Lord. Does this make sense? That, it, it, like if, it, how you see him, the way that you think about him will directly affect the way that you live. So if you see him as simply a rescuer of the people who stumble, then you'll probably maybe even sometimes stumble because it's the way that you know that he comes to you. And you could sabotage yourself and actually build a theology that says, well, every single day I sin and every single day I stumble. And that may be true, but that's not, that's not what scripture says has to be. Because the same one who comes and rescues you when you stumble actually is called the one who's able to keep you from stumbling. And if we let our experience go, well, well, so here's what happens. Every time we hear something like this preached in our minds, if we don't want to accept it, we'll come up with an argument as to why what Jude says so simply can't possibly mean that. And it looks like this so many times. So you're telling me that you don't sin. What does that have to do with Jude saying that he's able to keep you from stumbling? What does my 100% perfect obedience have to do with the ability of the word to be and do what it says? And so I, I was, we were talking about that stuff and and. And just talking about the heart of the Father showed through Jesus and, and how Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. And, and I went home and was just thinking more about what I'd spoken. Because the message, we put it online, the second service, it wasn't a message I had planned at all. It just came during worship and I preached it as I heard it. And then I went home and was just considering that and thinking through it. And I realized that, that, that that's true, what we preached last week. Um, that we're called to be Jesus who, who loves and gets between and, 
and encourages and doesn't condemn and, and tells the woman that there's a different way to live and shows grace. But, but then I was thinking that, man, if, if we're not careful, um, we, we will make that what love looks like in every situation. And we'll be trying to find a way to look like that in every situation without realizing that Jesus didn't even look like that in every situation. And that sometimes because there's been this error where God has been made to be this harsh, angry, abusive God, we respond to that error in teaching by teaching the love of God in a way that removes us from what display, Jesus displayed as the love of God in the Word. Because here's the thing, is that if you open your Bibles up um, to Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, um, that if Jesus is the perfect representation of the nature of the Father and God is love, then that means that everything he did is a representation of love. And if he said, the things that I say are not my own, but I speak what the Father says, the Father tells me the words he gives me, I make them known to you. If that's true, then this is the heart of God being displayed through his son, Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You realize you can't take somebody somewhere that you don't go. He says, you keep people from entering into the kingdom of heaven because you yourselves don't enter in. We will make our experience the entirety of Christianity, and we will limit people from going places that we haven't gone if we don't maintain a sense of, I don't know everything, and there's mystery within the kingdom of heaven that I don't understand, and there's places that I haven't gone but because I haven't gone there doesn't mean that you can't. And if you can, then maybe you can show me how. That's so important that we maintain that, you guys. It's so important that amongst our family, we don't get this attitude of, I have everything figured out, and if you want to know how everything works, you come talk to me, and I can tell you how everything is supposed to be. The longer I walk with him, the more I find myself going, I'm not sure. I become more sure of the things that I'm sure about, and I become more aware of how many things there are that I am unsure about. Does that make sense? That, that there's these, it's not like, there, there's, like the things that are settled become even more settled. Like he is the way to the Father. That's so established that like, I'm not going to be like, I'm not sure about that. That, that, that. that he is loving and kind and good and that his plans for me are to bless me and to prosper me and not to harm me. And that, that he wants to, to show himself to me. That he wants to manifest himself to me. That he wants to, rep- to recreate me in the image of his son. And that, that he's pa- covered my past with the blood of his son. And he's filled my future with the promise of his presence. I'm so sure of those things. But, uh, but, the, but I also become so unsure of some other things where when you, people ask you a question, you look at them and you say, I don't. I'm not sure. I guess I'd have to really pray and look into that rather than feeling the need to always have an answer and always have an explanation. Like, seriously, think about it. What excitement is there in worshiping a God that you've got figured out? Like, if he's small enough that you have, in your short time on this earth, you've reached the end of discovering who he is, you might have created a God in your own image. He may have created you in his, and you may have returned him the favor. 
So he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You put that on a Hallmark card somewhere. (laughs) But do you understand the tension of the same Jesus who knelt next to the woman and said, where are your accusers? I have none. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you understand the tension that the same Jesus who whispered that sweetly to the woman who was caught in adultery said this sternly? to the Pharisees, and that both were completely love. See, which one looks more loving? If you just are walking up, looking from the outside in, and you see somebody wrap their arms around someone and give them a big old kiss, or you walk up and you see somebody wounding somebody, and if you're judging with natural vision, with natural sight, with natural thoughts. Which one looks like love? Do you know the truth is, is that it's the heart behind what's being done that determines it, not the action. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That word there for Faithful means to build up, to establish, to foster as a parent or a nurse. The word friend means someone who has affection for. So if we say it in the original language, it sounds like this. When someone who loves you does something or says something that at the moment wounds you, causes you discomfort, maybe even causes pain for a moment. It actually builds you up and establishes you and fosters you the way a parent or nurse would. What does a parent or nurse do? It takes an immature person, a child, and it teaches and leads and guides and brings them to being who they were created to be. It says, but the kiss of an enemy, that word enemy there means hate, is deceitful. That word deceitful means to multiply or make many. So this is what I want to talk to us about is that If we love each other, we owe it to each other to, out of affection for one another, talk to each other, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it makes them uncomfortable about the things in their lives that would keep them from being who God created them to be. Because when we do that, it actually is a safeguard and a protection around them. Because though it stings from, listen, it doesn't feel good for someone to come to you and say, look, I love. And let me just say this in case we get hung up on, yeah, but that was, that was Jesus talking before the cross and all that stuff. No, long after the cross, 
in the new covenant, in the book of, of Revelation, Jesus writes to the churches. And he does point out all the amazing things about them. But after doing so, out of love for them, he says, but I have this against you. In other words, I do see all the good. And because I see the good and because I understand who you were created to be, because I see the potential that's in you, because I see what's right, I also see this that's wrong. And because I love you, I can't just kiss you and ignore what's wrong and leave you for that thing to continue to grow and multiply in your life. This doesn't mean, listen, this is, if you don't love God, that's why the first two commandments, the greatest commandments, are love God above all and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love him and love people out of that place. If you don't love him and you don't love people, then disregard everything I say today. Go home and ask him to cause you to fall in love with him and to fall in love with people. Because in the, in the hands of a person that doesn't love this verse becomes a tool of destruction. Something used to beat people, something used to manipulate people, something used to control people. But in the hands of the loving, it becomes a, something that actually is for our own good and to cause us to grow and become more like the one that we're following. That's why it qualifies it and it says that the wounds of someone, of, of, of someone who has affection for us, the wounds of someone, the wounding of someone who loves us, is a safeguard, establishes, and helps us to grow. But the kisses of the enemy, the kisses of the hateful, you realize that if you see something in someone's life and you refuse to say something to them, instead you kiss them, you love them, and ignore the thing that you see, the Bible says the only way you can do that is if you actually hate that person. This is the Bible. This is not Roy's theology or idea. This is how seriously he takes this thing. He says, how can you look at somebody and see something in their life that you know the Word of God says leads unto destruction and not say something to them except that you would hate them? And so I, I just, I want to talk to us as a church about this idea that we need this in our lives, but that the only way this comes is through actually having relationship with people and loving people. And that's why we're called the family of God, not the association of God, not the acquaintance of God. No, we're called a family because in family there's this understanding that you may say something I don't like or I may some say something that you don't like or we may even both be wrong on something, but we're not going to let that keep us from building and staying in relationship with each other because on the other side of conflict will be greater intimacy because you know that I'm committed to you and I know that you're committed to me. And so even though we may have a disagreement for a moment, there's this idea that we feel like God's called us to be in life together. And so because of that, that bond is greater than any disagreement we would have. And so we'll love each other enough to say that like, I will speak the truth to you because I'm not afraid that me speaking truth to you is going to cause you to run away it's actually going to cause you to run towards the heart of God. Because I love you and because you love me and because you understand that, because we've built relationship with each other. 
See, Jesus wasn't just walking up to people that he didn't. It said, and Jesus, as was his custom, went to the synagogue. What did that mean? It meant every single week he was with these people. He knew them. They knew him since he was a little boy. When he was a child, he was in the temple. He said, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? And listen, I, I, I just, here's the thing is that, that like, if you've never been in a place where you've had to call somebody to a higher place in Jesus, you have to question if you truly have affection for them. And if you're truly being led by the Spirit of God, because Jesus is perfectly led by the Spirit of God. In another instance, he makes a whip, chases people out of the temple, and flips tables. Uh, don't chase people with a whip <laughs> or flip tables. <laughs> because you, like, you could go to jail for that. That's assault and battery and a number of other charges. But what I am saying is like, if the idea that God would ever ask you to do or say something that could be perceived as unloving is so far from your idea, your idea of what it is to follow him, you may have, maybe out of hurt from an overemphasis of, of, of the strict, harsh, you know, ruler God that, 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 that so many people in legalism grew up under. And, and so when you get a, a glimpse of freedom and you understand that, that, that he actually isn't angry with you, you understand that you were never worthless. You realize that you were never worthless? If you were ever worthless, then that means God is an absolutely horrible judge of worth and value because he thought that your life at its worst was worth the life of his son Jesus at his best. You were worth the blood of Jesus, so you were never worthless. You were actually worth more. That's why he sent his son, because you were worth more than you were giving yourself to. And when we can start to have the heart of the Father, we can actually see people that way, and then we can speak correction into each other's lives from a place of love and from a place of truth. So here's the deal. If I see you for who you are, and I believe that you're a godly man, I'm Maurice. Maurice is a godly man full of integrity, and I know that about him, and I believe that about him. So if I saw him acting less than a godly man of integrity, I would owe it to him to go to him because I believe that's not who he is. If I think he's a liar... I think he has no integrity, then I have no obligation to go to him because that's who he is. You don't walk up to a raccoon and say, hey, you have rings on your tails, change. No, that's what a raccoon is. But if you see your kid painting themselves like a raccoon, that's not who they are. You may go say something to your child because you know who they are. It gives you the ability to see when they're acting less than who they are. And you love them, so you don't want to see them go down a path that leads them to destruction. And so you call them to, the, to a higher place. It's not to say, look at who you are. It's to say, this is who you are. That's not. Why is that here? Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He says, where's your husband? I have no husband. You spoke correctly, you have no husband. You've been married four times, and the man you're with now is not your husband. That could seem harsh, except for that he's saying it out of love and affection for her, and he wants her to understand, you've been looking for something your whole life, and you've gone from man to man to man to man to man, and you're still thirsty because you're looking for it in a place that you can't find it. Then he says to her, if you knew who I was, 
you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And once you drank of me, you'd never be thirsty. What's he saying? Once you have me, you would have what it is that you've been searching for, and you wouldn't have to go search for it in all the wrong places ever again. I don't want us to be mean people that run around looking for something to criticize. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that I want us to be so loving that we can't stand when we see something in each other's lives that's less than Jesus died for. And when we give ourselves to something that's less than where he called us up to be. It won't be comfortable. Listen, it is way more fun to kneel down next to the woman caught in adultery and protect her and tell her she's not condemned and explain to her that there's a better way to live. That's way more comfortable. I'm way more comfortable sitting and talking to somebody who is broken, alone, ashamed, being accused and feeling guilty and condemned and speaking the truth to them about who they are, about what God created them to be, and about the life he's called them to live. That's like the most fun thing ever. Because you see this worth and value start to come. And because they're in this vulnerable place where it's like, man, they'll listen to anything that isn't the accuser because all they've heard is, you deserve to die. Look how horrible you are. And so that when you come to them with the gospel, it's like the, this life raft gets tossed to a man who's been floating in the ocean and is just about to drown. And all of a sudden, they're just grabbing a hold of it. it. That's the most fun thing ever, to see someone actually get the truth and see it and grab a hold of it and see their life change. What's not so fun is to go to my friend and say, man, listen, you're awesome, and I love you, and I, I see this and this about you, but I also see this. And, and if you continue in that, you're not going to like the fruit that that seed begins to bring into your life. And I love you too much to allow you to continue to walk in a way without me at least telling you. I can't make you change, but I can beg you as though God himself is begging through me. Turn and repent. Not because you're a filthy sinner, because you're not a filthy sinner. So when you act like one, it stands out and I notice, and I can't let it go unsaid, because you right now don't need me to come up to you and kiss you and let that thing multiply in your life, because the person that you know, listen, if somebody knows that you're going after the Lord, and you hear from God, and there's something going on in their life, and you don't say something to them about it over and over and over again, even though God's showing it to you, they could start to think, I must be doing okay, because so-and-so would have certainly said something. They saw me the other day, and they saw the way that I acted. If it was that bad, they would have said something. No, the truth is, is they were supposed to say something, but they didn't because they didn't want to make you offended, or they were afraid, or they were timid, or because we have a weird, skewed idea that love only says things that make me feel good in the moment. God's not interested in how you feel in the moment if it means he has to sacrifice how you feel for eternity. I'm telling you. I know, that was good, because he just gave that to me in the moment as it's coming. I'm like one word ahead. I promise. It's the most amazing thing to me that every week he'll fill me up so that I can pour it out. And, um, and you know, I, I, when messages like this start brewing, I get behind me, Satan. Because you don't want to have to tell people. But here's the thing. If all Scripture is given for our good, for teaching, correction, then that means there's a reason that the stories of Jesus saying, 
you guys go make a single disciple, and when you do, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Or he looked at the Pharisees and said, you blind guides, you're leading the blind, and you're both going to end up in a ditch. Why didn't he look at them and say, you guys are amazing guides? Come on, there's this teaching out there that you just say the opposite of what you see if you see something negative. That is so far from Jesus. You, you see the opposite for them. You see who they're created to be, but you also see where they're at. So Jesus can only tell them they're being blind guides because he believes there's a time coming when their eyes are supposed to be open to truth and they're supposed to actually lead people to where he wants them to go. Otherwise, they're just being who they're created to be. There's no need to correct them. You don't correct something if somebody is being who God created them to be. You correct it when you see them being less than who he created them to be. So when he sees them being blind guides, he understands it's because they're created to be guides that actually see the Lord and can bring people to a place of knowing him. So he goes to them. He doesn't say, you guys are such amazing guides. I just see you leading people to Jesus, and it's so beautiful. No, he says, you guys are blind guides leading people astray, and if you don't open your eyes, you're all going to end up in a ditch. That's Jesus. He said, you guys worry so much about the outside of the cup. The inside's filthy, yet you don't even care about the inside because all you care about is what people see. You've done a good job polishing the outside of the cup. If I were you, I would actually worry about making the inside clean, then the outside wouldn't be continually needing to be cleaned up. That's Jesus. He doesn't go to him and say, you're such a beautiful cup. He sees they're supposed to be beautiful cups, so he calls them where they're not and tells them how they could become. And I, I truly, as I, the more I'm around different circles and streams and people and, and, and our church and everybody else, I, you hear these things said, and it almost gets like just accepted as if it's just the gospel truth. Well, we only see the good. Tell that to Jesus when he wrote the letters to the churches. He saw the good, which made him able to see everything that wasn't. Yes, you're called to see the good. I promise you, when you see who God created someone to be, everything that he didn't create them to be will be glaringly obvious. What do you do with that? Do you go give them a big kiss? Tell them they're awesome? Not mention the thing that you see? Or do you actually have affection for them? And say, I know this isn't going to feel good, but I promise you. If you'll listen to what I'm telling you, you take this to the Lord. Let him speak to you about it. See, because here's the thing. When we're in deception, a lot of times you don't know you're deceived. And sometimes you need people around you that see things that you don't see so they can speak into your life. It doesn't have to be sin. You could be being insecure. Someone could come to you and say, listen, you are amazing. You, you're one of the most awesome people I've ever met in my life, but I see you when you're around other people, putting yourself down, shrinking back, talking negatively about yourself. Why are you doing that? That's not who you are. So we get obsessed with this, this sin thing. It's not just sin. If you see something that's wrong, talk to them about the thing that's wrong. But when you see what's right, you'll see all the things that aren't right. You can talk to them about what's right, but also mention to them just like Jesus did. I see that you have good works. I see that you love me. I see that you've made your church in the place where Satan has a foothold. But I have this thing against you, and I want you to change, because if you don't, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. I don't want to spew you from my mouth. That's the whole heart behind it. It's not like, hey, guys, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. 
No, it's, I don't want to have to do that. So I'm correcting you so that you can actually just have the good and leave behind the things that are not. It separates who you are from things that have tried to attach to you that are not you. And it takes someone who's filled with the Spirit of God that can see who someone really is and love who they are to be able to see who they're not and hate who they're not. If we would give each other permission to do that, we would look more like Jesus. It's just a fact because Jesus was interested in creating disciples, people that looked like him, and he felt the need to do that. That means if we say that we don't have to, we found a different way of creating disciples that is actually better than the model that we have from Jesus. So I, I think that's pretty much what I wanted to share. I, I just want to see... Like, I want to, this is why I said this a few weeks ago, like, seek the Lord and ask him, is this where I'm supposed to be for a church? Because if it is, then, then that means he's called you to be part of a family. He's called you to be part of a family. And that means that, that, that everybody pitches in, everybody helps, and everybody does their part to see everybody around them become who God created them to be. Not just out there, but in here as well. And so if that's the case, and this is where he's called you, then he's probably called you to have relationship with people to the point where they know you and you know them and you're known by them. Not where you just have superficial acquaintances that you see for 10 minutes before a service starts and 10 minutes after a service starts. No, I'm talking about people that you actually get to know on a deeper level to where you actually can speak into each other's lives and you can share truth with each other and love each other and encourage each other and live life together. And I'm not saying that so that, that, that I'm saying like there's every opportunity that's a different church that God wants you to. I'm okay with that. But if this is where he's called you, then realize he's called you to a deeper level of relationship than just sitting in a chair for an hour and a half on a Sunday. He's called you to be part of a family. See, the, like in the, in, the, in the book, in the Bible, when they talked about like church discipline, for example, and they said like if, if someone comes to you and or you go to someone and they're, in, and they're in sin and you say something to them and they don't repent, you take two or, um, of, of the elders or, or a couple of the elders with you, you go and approach them again, and if they still won't listen, you bring it before the church. If they still won't repent, then remove them from the fellowship of believers that their flesh would be destroyed and their soul would be saved. Do you understand the reason was because there was one church in each city? So if you were removed from the fellowship of believers, you weren't part of the family of God. Nowadays, you can't do that with people. They could, they could walk across the parking lot right here and be in another church in two minutes. But there should be relationship enough that you would never want to ever have someone come to you and say, like, hey, I've come and talked to you. You haven't listened, and I've brought two others that see. So it says, by the word of mouth of two or three, every word would be established. What it means is that someone doesn't just have a vendetta against you and trying to abuse you or trying to manipulate you. They bring two or three of the elders that come. These are people who are solid, mature believers. They look and they say, yeah, this is, this is actually what's going on, and this is wrong. Thinking that surely at that point you would repent. It would change. And, and then if not, it says bring it before the church. It means the church was people who had relationship with them. They all loved each other. They were all of one accord. They had one love, one unity of the faith. They were united. So it was, they, were, they all loved each other. And there was this understanding that everybody here loves me. And so if everybody's saying this, 
It must be true. And then he said, if they still won't listen to that, then you remove them. Why? Because there was a consequence to being removed from that family because there was benefit to being part of it. And that's not just coming to a church service one Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It was that you built relationships and you lived lives with these people and you helped each other and you poured into each other and you encouraged each other. You spurred each other on in love and good works. That's what we're called to be. I want to see that. I do. I want to see that. I want to see us get to know each other on a, on a, on a deeper level to the point where we actually can speak truth to each other in love. Not to abuse. Listen, this is not a license to run around trying to find what's wrong and become a critical jerk. This is a license to fall so in love with people that anything you see that would keep them from living the life Jesus gave his life on a cross for them to live, you would be so grieved by that you would in love go to them and say, hey, listen, that's, that's, that's going to, man, you don't want that. The fruit of that, you're not going to like at all. That, lead, that leads to destruction. This leads to death. You know, you're, you're going to reap what you sow, and right now what you're sowing, you don't want to reap that. Come on, I love you. I don't want to see you have to, have to deal with that stuff. Cut that out. You're so much better than that. That's not who you are. I know who you are. Because I know who you are, I know who you're not. The only way you can say that is if you actually know who someone is. And the only way you actually know people is by building relationship with them. Giving each other permission to know me, who I really am, to speak into my life. Because I trust you. Because you love me. That's what a church family is. That's the love of the Father. Jesus is the perfect representation of the nature of the Father, which means every time he spoke, it was a representation of God's love. Both when he told the woman at the well, I don't condemn, or the cotton adultery, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. And when he said, you guys are blind guides leading people into a ditch, repent. Both of those statements were equally loving. God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that we would not be a people that would kiss each other and leave each other with something that's not of you to multiply. But we would be people who love each other enough that we would step out of what's comfortable be vulnerable and take risk, risk of being rejected, risk of, of, of being attacked in return, and just say, I love you too much. I have to say something. You're so much greater than that. I see who you are. That's not you. But I can't close my eyes and act like I don't see it. And I'm afraid if I don't say something, it'll continue to multiply and continue to grow. And that's not God's best. And I love you too much for anything less than that. I thank you you'd put that heart inside of us, God, that you would put a unity inside of us that we would see ourselves as family, God. That we would actually believe that on the other side of every conflict is greater intimacy. That we would actually believe that relationship is not as fragile as whether we agree on every little thing. But it's as strong as the bond of the love of Jesus that binds us together. I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.